Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, um, I, although I'm not seeing you. Uh, I know you're seeing me, but uh, we're getting a lot of responses via Facebook and whatnot, so we're happy to have people tuning in right now. My name's Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here at City Life Church, and just thankful to be able to speak into your life, into your home today, um, and uh, we want to get in the Word. We've been going through a series called Fearless, where we're encouraging people to have less fear right now in this season where there's a lot of turmoil and not sure what's happening next. Day to day, finding out new information, whether it be from our, our government or the CDC, whatever it is, we're trying to figure out what to do next. And yet in the midst of that, we can fear less because God is with us. I want to turn your attention to a few verses that were on my heart today to speak to you about as I was preparing and thinking about this weekend. And we've totally thrown our plan out the window and really going week to week and, and obviously hearing the Lord. And I want to share with you in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. You can follow along with me as I read. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What a great set of scriptures for our time now, because right here in the scripture, in context, what has happened is Jesus was beaten, crucified. Mary shows up at the tomb, and it's empty. Jesus shows up to her. She runs and tells the disciples. And then next thing you know, Peter and John are running to the tomb looking, and it's empty, and they're going, what is happening? And then that night, they're locked for fear of the Jews, it said. They're afraid, locked quarantined in their own home and have a lot of fear. And it's amazing in the midst of the locked doors and the fear of the outside, Jesus enters in. Jesus comes into the room and the first thing he says, it's so great, I love it, peace be with you. Now, in the Greek, this is a certain word, but in the Hebrew, and I'm convinced Jesus is speaking Hebrew to his disciples, this word peace means shalom. Shalom meaning not like the absence of fear or in a defensive posture, but actually an offensive weapon speaking forward and saying there's peace right now. And it's such an appropriate word for the first thing Jesus to say. He didn't say, ta-da, I'm here, disciples, looky here. He didn't do any of that. He came in and he said, peace. Why? Because this word shalom has been said for centuries by the Hebrews. Even today, if you go to Israel, which we go often at our church with T. Roche Expedition, plug, G. Yoon, uh, we're able to go and you'll hear 
people constantly walking around, their hello and their goodbye. Shalom, shalom. You hear the little kids, shalom, shalom, shalom. This is a, a way to speak life and peace, but the word encapsulates so much more than just do not be afraid. It actually encapsulates an opposition and a position moving forward in offense to say that nothing should be missing or broken in your life. Your spirit, your soul, your body can be whole. And that's what we long for when we say shalom to someone else, when we introduce ourselves, or when we say goodbye. The amazing thing about this word peace that Jesus brings is that they knew very well that peace wasn't in their midst. In fact, peace had been broken from the beginning, from Adam and Eve breaking that peace between man and woman, man and man, man himself, man and creation, and of course, man and God. There has been no peace. There has been no reconciliation. So for the first thing, Jesus, to enter into the locked door while they're afraid and say, peace, shalom, I bring wholeness now. It's powerful. It's a powerful thing that Jesus starts with in the midst of their fear. And I believe this is the word he wants to give us too as we're locked in our homes, as we're quarantined, as we're trying to figure out what's going on. Jesus brings these words, enters into your home and wants to enter into the home of your heart and your mind and say, peace, I bring peace. I bring wholeness to your spirit, to your emotions, to your body. And this is what Jesus brings to us. In fact, the scripture calls Jesus the prince of peace. And that's a warfare type term. He's coming and he has come and brought peace. So a couple of things from this scripture. Number one, God speaks peace in the midst of fear. He speaks the shalom, not always when everything's going well and everything's seeming to work out, but especially in the midst of fear. And this is constant. When Gideon is afraid and hiding in the winepress, comes out, an angel speaks peace. Do not be afraid. And he calls him a warrior, and he speaks faith and peace into his life. And on and on through Scripture, we see Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And he speaks this especially in the midst of fear. God shines most brightly his light in the midst of darkness. And we know this, if you've ever been through anything, most of the things you've learned, the best lesson from were through the hardships and the suffering, and you don't truly experience the peace of God until you go through some of those things. And God wants everyone today to experience that, I believe, in this week. The second thing I see, on here is this, that God brings peace inside before outside. So many times we're looking and we want relief. I want relief now from the symptoms, from the thing. I just want to go back to normal. And now there is a new normal. And Jesus doesn't want to just relieve you from the outside and get you back into your normal routine. He wants to take the time, I believe right now, to give you peace on the inside before the peace comes from the outside. Again, we seek the relief and the normalcy, and we want everything to just work out in the utopian age that we're in. And when these things come, they're really an amplifier for God to come in and say, I want to not just fix your outside circumstances. That's fine. That's going to come and go. I want to fix you inside first. And he always brings that peace first. 
As I mentioned earlier, when you go to Israel, when they say hello, when they say goodbye, they, they use the same word, shalom. I was praying for uh, some of our elders a couple weeks ago, and I kept praying peace over them, peace over them. In our church, I, I, I pray for our elders, me and my wife, and then the elders pray for our deacons. Our deacons pray for our members every day. And as I was praying for one of our elders, I kept hearing the word peace, peace, peace. And I felt like I had a word for them that this word peace means hello and goodbye a lot of times. It means wholeness. And I feel like sometimes you have to be able to say hello to new things, and the peace of God allows you to say hello or goodbye to old things. So you're saying hello to God's trust and sovereignty. I'm saying goodbye to fear and anxiety, and, and I want to push those things to the side, and the peace of God allows you to welcome in new things and say goodbye to old things. And God wants to do that as he brings peace inside before he brings peace outside. What's really great, though, about this scripture, I think, is not many of us might be in this place. Maybe you hear, oh, I'd love to have peace, or if Jesus showed up right then and there, man, it'd be great if I saw him right now and he did show up in my living room right this moment. I would believe. I love the rest of this passage and how honest and authentic the scripture is, because it then continues and says this in verse 24, if you'll read along. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I love that this is in here. I love that John, as he's pinning through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this letter to the churches that he includes, and the Bible does this a lot, includes people that doubt, people that are afraid, people that are going, oh, that's great for your experience, but what about me? I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. We've all felt like Thomas before, and maybe right now that's how you feel too. You hear people say, you just need to have peace, and God's peace comes over you, and you're going, well, I, that's not my experience. We can totally relate with Thomas here, that he's coming in, and they're going, oh, this is exciting. We've seen Jesus. We've seen the Lord. And he's going, that's not my experience. I can't believe. It's easy for you to believe because you've had that experience, and yet not me. We don't know why Thomas wasn't with them, but it does teach us something amazing about how God works and also shows us that God sees our humanity and that there's just a realness to the scripture. And that, that works for us. Maybe today you're a medical worker and you're having to go out in the hospital, in the emergency room, on the field, and you're going, I wish I could quarantine myself in my home, but I'm around COVID-19 all the time. What about me? That's not my experience. Maybe you're at home and you're watching kids, and you're having to teach them, and you don't feel the peace of God right now. You're going, that's not my experience. This scripture and Thomas can relate. And I love that the scripture adds this. If you want to see other scriptures, you see the book of Job. God loves to show how people deal with suffering even in the midst of trials and how they reconcile in their mind. Why are these things happening to me? See, the Bible is not absent of that. 
it doesn't try to just make it look like everything's fine and you're okay. It actually does show Psalm 88, Psalm 38. You should read those. They don't end in this, everything's great, but they end in this, I have turmoil, things are not great, this is hard. And I love that the scripture shows the humanity of people. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So we see Thomas, and we see him literally going, that's not my experience. And yet, follow with me in verse 26. Eight days later. It says, his disciples were inside again. And here's the key. And Thomas was with them. It says this, although the doors were still locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, here we go again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, and here's a big key, and my God. Jesus is God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As the story continues, you see this, not seven days later, not on, a, on another new day after Jesus has risen, and now we're talking eight days later. Seems like Jesus is always just a day late. Maybe he's, they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're praying, and thinking, oh, it's going to be the same day. It's going to be seven days. In a week, Jesus is going to visit again, and it's not. It's the next day. But what we see with Thomas is that even in the midst of his own personal doubt and his own fears, he stays in community. He stays with people that have had the experience because I think Thomas is going, it's not my experience, but I can't deny the facts. There's no body. There's nobody in the tomb. There's gotta be some explanation. And just that little bit of seed of faith kept him there and it says they were back inside, locked doors again, still afraid. Look at the humanity, still afraid. And Jesus in his grace, because he's a God of grace, shows up again and he says, peace be with you. He reminds them, I bring peace. Don't forget. I say it all the time. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is Christians need to be reminded more than instructed. And what a great reminder. Jesus says it again, eight days later, peace. And then he goes in and says, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. In other words, I heard you. I heard you eight days ago. I know what's going on. Even when you don't feel like I'm around, I heard you word for word. He says, finger, here's my hands, put my side. He heard everything, even though he wasn't there. What does this show us? It shows us that faithfulness is greater than fear. That even though you might be afraid right now, you might not have those experiences just like Thomas, there's a faithfulness that comes even with a small seed of faith. I trust you, God. I trust maybe other people's experiences right now. And I'm going to be in the room. I'm going to be available even if I'm not fully there. And I'm not fully walking in these huge measures of faith. I'm going to be there. And here's the thing. Jesus is patient because he says just a mustard seed of faith. And he brings his, gra his grace and he comes to him personally. Reminds him, I heard you, I am with you, and now touch my hands, touch my side. It's such a beautiful reminder of the grace of God. And I think Jesus has such compassion for us when we say, that's not my experience, when we say, 
I don't feel peace. He has compassion because Jesus himself knows what it's like to feel abandoned. More than anybody else, you might have felt like no one's listening to me, no one cares. Maybe you're at home alone and trying to figure out watching online and does that person really care about me? Jesus knows that abandonment. He knows that feeling better than anyone else while he is on a cross. Just a few days before, he stands before the disciples and says, peace be with you while they're afraid. He has compassion and grace because he's on the cross and he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And that is the very beginning of Psalm 22. If you read Psalm 22, that is the words of Jesus. And what he's saying is, in in saying that, read Psalm 22. This is what's happening to me right now. And scripture would tell us, at that moment on the cross, he became sin. And God had to turn his face for the first time from Jesus. And Jesus knew the feeling of forsakenness and abandonment. But here's the deal. He learned what it means to be abandoned and forsaken and to not feel the peace so you never have to. So you don't have to go through life wondering, uh, is God here? Yes, he is. Jesus took on sin and full abandonment from men, from his disciples, being whipped and abused, and then his father turning his face because he became sin for us so that you and me can never feel forsaken. In fact, Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could Paul in prison, being quarantined from life, write such eloquent words and feel the peace of God because he knew Jesus was forsaken so he never will be. That Jesus became sin so that he can walk in righteousness. At the end of the day, the reason why we can say peace, be still, we can say peace, be with you, is because we know and we trust that Jesus became and took the wrath of God for us so that we can have peace with God today and now. This is why we meet. This is why we preach. This is why we say we love Jesus and we're about Jesus and we sing the songs to Jesus because he is that Prince of Peace that brings that peace to our lives right now. And that's my prayer, that he will bring you peace even in your home right now, that he will walk in your home and literally bring peace to your kids, bring peace to your home, bring peace to every room, but mostly the deepest rooms of your heart. He brings that peace. I want to encourage you. We have joined recently um, with churches all over the globe for a thing called Unite 714. In fact, you can go to unite714.com. And what it is is it's churches committing with one another to pray every morning at 714, every night at 714. There's even, if you go to that website, you can download the prayers. Right now, we, our church, we're praying. We prayed every night last week at seven o'clock. And then this coming week, we're going to do tonight, seven o'clock prayer. We're going to do Wednesday night, seven o'clock prayer continuing. Because here's the deal. We're uniting with the church global because all of us are crying out, God, bring this type of peace. Bring this type of healing. 
the key scripture for Unite 714 is 2 Chronicles 714, and it says this. If my people, that's us, church, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7, 14. There's some key things in that if we'll humble ourselves. The humble place of, I can't figure this out myself. We don't know when all this is going to end, but I humble myself to say, because I can't figure it out, I know you can and you will. We humble ourselves to say, it's not about me right now, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to pray. I'm going to spend some time praying. I'm seeking, listen, not the hand of God. There's nothing worse than your kids in the midst of craziness, and you're trying to figure out bills, and they're just going, hey, give me your checkbook. Give me this. I want to buy this and purchase this. And you're going, do you just want me for my money? Do you just want me for my checkbook? And he doesn't say, seek my hand. If my people humble themselves and seek my, my, my checkbook, he says, seek my face. This last week as I was laying in bed, my son Jackson comes in, and he, he kisses me. Eight, he's eight, eight year, my eight-year-old, and he just kisses me, and he says, Daddy, hug me, kiss me. And, and he's seeking my face. He wants me. He doesn't just want my stuff. And this is the key. This is really when the rubber meets the road, what Job found out. As Satan comes to God and says, of course, Job follows you. You bless him. You give him everything. What if you take it all away? Will he still follow you? As David loses everything and comes back in Psalm 51 and says, Create in me a clean heart. I just want you. I've sinned against you. Everybody through Scripture gets tested in the suffering and in the pain to see if you want God's face or you just want his stuff. And part of what we're going through, I believe, because God doesn't waste anything, is to say, Will you seek my face? Will you humble yourself? And I hope our response as a church and a church globally right now is to say, yes, we will seek your face. We will humble ourselves. So will you join us? And I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, we seek your face, God. We thank you for the peace that Jesus brings, that he reconciled a relationship back to you, God. Lord, and we serve him just as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Lord, bring us back to seeking your face, to wanting you and not just your stuff, not just your things, not just your peace that's kind of out there as if we can get the God of all peace without getting the presence of God. When you come in peace, you also bring your justice. You also bring your love. You bring yourself. And that's what we long for. That's what we want. Lord, unite our churches. Unite us as we pray in spirit and in truth to seek after the one who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. We seek your face. We love you. We commit to humble ourselves and turn from any wicked way so we can have you and have peace on the inside before the outside. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.